guys, I'm your host Tara A. Devlin, and welcome to this week's episode of Kowabana, true Japanese scary stories from around the internet. Bankai, Baffling Japanese Internet Mysteries Volume 3 is now out. If you enjoy the particular mysteries that only the internet can offer, then do head over and check it out right now. We also have a brand new design up in the Kowabana merchandise store. You can check that out at kowabana.store. We have shirts, mugs, stickers, masks, and much more, so do check it out and help support the show at the same time. This week, we're taking a look at some stories that will perhaps serve as a reminder that what happens in the past doesn't necessarily always stay there. First up, a creature that has become somewhat famous on the internet in recent years, and may very possibly remind you of a certain famous Ito Junji work. What's the truth behind this bizarre creature? Find out in Guru Guru Sama. I have a friend, Kay, who is an occultist with rather strong supernatural powers. So one day, I asked this Kay a question. What's the scariest thing that's ever happened to you up until now? He looked up and, after thinking about it for a moment, finally answered, Hmm, it has to be that time with Guru Guru. Guru Guru? Yeah, Guru Guru. What follows is the story he told me. This happened about ten years ago. When I was in the fifth grade, there was a strange rumour spreading around my school. It was about a mountain called Minaminaka that wasn't too far from our school. They say that Guru Guru Sama appears on that mountain. The rumour started going around in September, just after the school holidays had ended, and it spread throughout the school faster than smoke from a fire. And it seemed the source of that fire was a bunch of sixth graders who visited Minaminaka for a test of courage during the holidays. Like most rumours and urban legends, People soon came out one after the other, claiming that they had seen Guru Guru Sama as well, and the story got bigger and bigger by the day as well, with people saying that just seeing Guru Guru Sama would curse you, and then you would die. The height of this creature ranged from the size of a child to several metres tall, and whether it was male or female depended on who you spoke to. However, there was one thing that all these differing stories had in common. Whether it was the eyes, arms, or head, some part of Guru Guru Sama's body was twisted. Well, with the creature's name being what it is, I suppose that's one part you wouldn't be able to separate from it. Oh, and apparently Guru Guru Sama was black as well. So, While everybody was getting worked up over this story, my days passed pretty uneventfully, and with little interest in them. I was just a regular kid with little interest in the occult at the time. But I was quick to open my eyes to it, being a scaredy cat and all. In contrast, my sister, who was four years older than me, was already well aware of it. Ah, Kay, when we've finished dinner... Let's visit Minaminaka, yeah? I've already got everything ready, she said. It was sunny and cloudless all day, and even after dinner it was still hot. 
It was just before 7pm and my sister grabbed me before I went to take a shower before dinner. Mount Minaminaka, Guruguru-sama. That was all she said. Yeah, Guruguru. Sounds interesting. Guruguru. She spun her finger around in front of my eyes like she was trying to catch a dragonfly. Still, I couldn't quite figure out what was supposed to be so interesting about it. Of course, we have to keep this a secret from Mum and Dad. We'll set out at 11pm. Make sure you go to the toilet and everything first, okay? Somewhat unrelated, but when I was in the lower grades of elementary school, I had a rather bad experience with a children's horror movie called The School's Staircase. My sister's comment was completely to make fun of me. And honestly, I didn't want to go. But if I said that, then she'd make fun of me even more. And there was zero doubt they'd start calling me a coward as well. As her younger brother, I had no way of refusing. And so, reluctantly, I agreed. That's my little brother, she said, nodding with a satisfied look on her face. That night, we went to visit Guruguru-sama. Because of that, I was unable to close my eyes when I washed my hair in the bath that night. If I did, then the image of Guruguru-sama would go around and around and around. After dinner, I carefully emptied my bladder. Then, at 11pm, my sister and I slipped out of the children's room window on the second floor. Our mother as well as our grandmother, who lived with us at the time, were already asleep. But our father was watching TV in the living room. We bent down and snuck past. The most nervous part was when we tried to get the bicycle out of the nearby garage without making any noise. We only had one. Keeping an eye out for the police, I pedalled while my sister sat on the back. Despite being the middle of the night... It was still hot. Both of us were wearing shorts and a t-shirt, but while my sister was humming and catching a breeze behind me, well, I was also catching a breeze, but I was also doing all the work to pedal two people on a bike at once. Ah, you're too heavy. And it's hot. Ah, I'm tired. This sucks. Yeah, yeah. Shut your mouth and keep pedalling. We're almost there. Judging by her tone of voice, my sister was really enjoying herself. The entrance to Mount Minaminaka was roughly 20 minutes on bike from our house. It was a small mountain in the city, and even a child could reach the top in about 20 minutes. Actually, Mum said that when she was a kid... There were rumours of Guruguru-sama at Minaminaka at her school too, my sister said from behind, just as we were about to arrive at the mountain. I was almost out of breath, riding up a gentle slope alongside the river, so I didn't reply. She then continued. Hell, even Grandma said she heard the same story when she was a kid. Which means, the story of Guruguru-sama sure has been around for a long time. Behind me, I heard a creepy laugh. It didn't sound like that of a girl. Don't you think it's fascinating? Guru Guru. 
It's an urban legend passed down only in this town, and it's been around for so long, but it's not like people are constantly talking about it and passing it down either. It goes long periods without anyone talking about it, and then it suddenly rears its ugly head again, like everyone has just remembered it. Hey, what on earth do you think it really is? Once her switch was turned on, there was no way that I, her powerless brother, was able to stop her. Eh? Me? I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah, it's tough, huh? Ah, don't worry. I'll ride back on the way home. Aren't I just the best, most kindest sister? Well, sure. It was easier on the way home. It was all downhill. At any rate, it seemed my sister knew a lot more about Gudugudu-sama than I did. Before long, we finally arrived at the entrance to Mount Minaminaka. There was a road that cars could enter, but it was so steep that the bike would be nothing but luggage. So, we parked it next to a nearby payphone. Wow, what a mountain this sure is! The two of us looked up at it in the dark and said the same joke that everyone who came here no doubt imagined. Still, it really wasn't that special of a mountain. The only interesting thing about it was the rumour of Gudugudu-sama. We ignored the road for cars and started walking up the stairs for pedestrians beside it. We got off the bike on the south side of the mountain, and my sister said that Gudugudu-sama would appear on the slope going down the north side. The sound of cars, something we'd heard the entire way over, was now replaced with the sound of leaves rustling and bugs chirping. I clung to my sister from behind like a suckerfish as she moved forward. So, are people still talking about Gudugudu-sama at elementary school now? She asked me suddenly as we walked. Yeah, was the only thing I could say. Yeah, I suppose you could say that, although it wasn't as popular as that portable egg-shaped game. So what did the kids say? What did they say? Uh, There's all sorts of stories. I don't really know. Then my sister suddenly stopped and turned around. She shone the torchlight in my face and then spoke. But of course. I hear all sorts of things at my school as well. These days, the stories are very consistent, aren't they? That's why I asked Mum and some of the old folks from the neighbourhood about it. Sis, the torch is too bright. I can't see. I collected as many stories as I could. I tried to put it all together, you see. Then... I could understand some of its characteristics, like what it looks like, where you can find it, and its behaviour. Sis, I said it's too bright. She completely ignored me and kept talking. The creature looks just like what I knew. It's pure black and round. It has no arms. One old man said that it was black because it was covered in burn marks, and it can be found, like I told you, on the slope on the northern side. As for its behaviour, well, it doesn't really do anything in particular. It doesn't curse people, nor does it chase them. Sis! The only weird thing about it is its shape. It's scary, yeah, 
but it's not dangerous. And that's why the story isn't passed down properly through the generations. It ends on the spot, just like that. Oh? Ah, sorry, sorry. She finally realised the torch was still in my face and moved it. That whole time I stood there like Lupin stuck in a searchlight. What do you think? she asked. I honestly had no idea. I wasn't really following what she said at the time. Well, I don't really know what Gudugudusama looks like. Oh, really? Well, that's something to look forward to then, she said, and then started climbing the stairs again. Halfway up the stairs, we turned to a side path and made our way around to the north side of the mountain. After walking a short while, we came out to a slightly open space from the narrow path. My sister turned the light slowly from left to right in a 180-degree arc. This is it, she muttered. The area was full of weeds tall enough to cover our shoes and surrounded by dense oak trees. Hey, can you see it? I nervously asked. If it was here, sure. You would too. It wasn't quite pitch black, but it was still pretty dark. The branches above blocked out most of the light from the city and the stars, so it was hard to see anything. Insects chirped. The trees rustled. My eyes were at ease, but my ears were busy. Maybe it's not here today, my sister muttered as she looked around. Maybe it's asleep, I said, somewhat relieved. At that moment, something white appeared in the light of my sister's torch. I almost jumped, but it was just a rock. There were several flat rocks piled on top of each other in a small tower. Together, they totaled about half my height. What's that? I think it's a grave. Although, there's no name carved on it. It's a memorial tower. I was kind of surprised that my sister gave me such a solid answer to my question. Whose grave? Hmm. For lots of people, she said casually, but I didn't understand what she meant. It's not a grave for a single person. Look, this is Minaminaka, yeah? Long ago, lots of people died during the war, and... They buried the bodies of those they couldn't identify here. So, there are lots of them. I mean, you could say that this entire mountain itself is one big grave. I looked down at my feet before I could stop myself. If that was so, then were we just prancing around on top of numerous people's final resting spots? And so, I came here to confirm something for myself. Confirm what? Hmm? Oh, nothing. Don't worry. Looks like it's not going to appear today. Guru guru. And, if not, there's no reason for us to be here. Shall we go home? My sister said. I happily agreed. I was starting to worry about what I'd do if she insisted we stay until morning. But going back the same way we came would be boring, so 
let's go straight from here and do a lap of the mountain. I quickly nodded at her suggestion, whatever it took to get me home. And so we started walking again, with my sister in front and me behind. Hey, you said you're going to ride on the way back, right? Well, we didn't see Gudugudu, so I guess you can ride instead. What the hell? Eh? Are you for real? At that moment, we passed a pile of rocks. I suddenly sensed something on the edge of my vision. I was so distracted by the fact that I could go home that I turned in that direction before I could stop myself. There was something next to the rocks. At first, I thought it was a monkey or some type of beast. But in the faint darkness, like ink mixed with water, that thing was definitely looking at me. I froze on the spot. It seemed I tugged on my sister's clothes unconsciously, however, and she turned around. She was about to complain, but before any words left her mouth, she realised what I was looking at. She spun the torch over to it. Guru-guru-sama. According to what I'd heard, Guru-guru-sama was so named because parts of its body spun around. But that was wrong. It wasn't parts of its body. It was its entire body. Like, say for example, a person standing in front of you would look like a single stick. Bend that stick to the front, and then turn it to face the left. Then turn the chest to face the same direction. Then bend the neck as well. It was just like a snail shell. Like cream swirling in a coffee cup. Like a fern unfolding. The creature's entire body swirled like a spiral, starting from the head. That was why it was called Guruguru-sama. The part that was probably its head was down by its knees. The outside of the spiral was bent at such a harsh angle that in places the black skin had torn apart and bones, flesh and stuff poked out. And it was missing one of its arms as well. The other hand was pressed to the ground for balance. The whole body was black, and, in particular, the left half looked like ash. Only one eye was open as well. It was so strange. Like, this has to be a joke, right? The creature was so beyond what I could have ever imagined that I couldn't even scream. I just stared at the thing before me, my mouth half open. Hey, hold the light for a moment. My sister's words brought me mostly back to my senses. She handed me the light and then slowly walked over to Guruguru-sama. I couldn't even tell her, no, or don't go. I had no idea what to do, and so I just stood there and shone the light on them. My sister stopped right next to Guruguru-sama. She bent down. I couldn't tell what she was doing. She didn't appear to be doing anything. She looked down, and then stood up again. Turn the light off, she said, turning towards me. I was still flabbergasted, and when she said it again, I finally reacted and turned the torch off. Darkness 
several seconds or maybe minutes of it. Maybe just a few seconds. But in the darkness where I couldn't see anything, I slowly felt myself returning to my senses. At the same time, my knees started to tremble with fear. Alright, turn it back on now. When I heard my sister's voice, I quickly turned the light back on. The only thing I saw before me was my sister. Guru Guru Sama was gone. It's okay, it left. She looked at me as I trembled in fear and then she smiled broadly. You look like a newborn fawn. She just couldn't help but make fun of me. Later, I sure was glad that I went to the toilet beforehand. My trembling was so bad that I couldn't start walking again until my sister patted me on the head. Before we went back to the bike, my sister turned towards the pile of rocks and put her hands together in prayer. I don't know why, but I did the same as well. Please don't curse me, I prayed. Then the two of us went back down the mountain. I'll ride, I told my sister and forced her to sit on the back. Then I took off for home. I thought that doing something physical might keep my mind off of what just happened, but it seemed that was futile. So, what were you doing with Gurugurusama when the light was off? I asked my sister on the way back, although I was still scared. My sister, who was humming behind me, answered as though she was still singing. Just looking... Looking at what? Hmm. Like the V-shape on the back of its foot. Ah, like the capital letter V. And thanks to that, I finally understood. Huh? The letter V? Like the strings on shoes, like getter. They call it a sandal strap or something, right? That, and that alone, was kind of white. I was too stupid to understand what my sister was saying. And what about it? That mark showed the signs of being burnt. The burns on that kid were especially bad on the left side, so I think maybe it was a bomb or something. I finally swallowed. The creature became like that after getting caught in an explosion and suffering burns. But hearing the word bomb, I struggled to relate it to anything in the present. I think they hit a wall or something before hitting the ground and it exploded right above their head, to the left. I don't have any evidence, but I don't think I'm too far off the mark. By bomb, you mean during the war? Of course. That's why this story has been passed down since Grandma's time. The people buried at Minaminaka were said to have died during the air raids in 1945. There were a lot of people they couldn't identify, so I guess Gurugurusama was one of them. 1945. That was quite some time ago. At any rate, it was long before I was born. Hey sis... Before, you said, that kid, right? At that, she sighed. Yeah, 
it was a kid. Around the same age as you, I think. Around the same age as me. Gurugurusama was a child who died during the war. Thinking that, some of the fear I held towards Gurugurusama faded away and something sadder seeped in. But why are they still there now? I muttered. Because it was summer when the raids happened. Maybe they appear so we don't forget what happened. That's just my guess, though. After that, we fell quiet for a while. As I looked up at the night sky, I had a thought. When I went back to school the next day, I would spread a different rumour. Gurugurusama wasn't a yokai or a ghost. Gurugurusama was a child who died during the war, and that child appeared so that we would never forget what happened. Thank God for peace! My sister suddenly screamed behind me, causing me to nearly fall over. When I turned around, she was laughing. Well, I was only ten or so, and my sister dragged me out of the house against my will, and then all of that happened, so it was rather scary. Ten years or so passed. We were in the student dorm Kay lived in near the university. Wait, I had no idea you have an older sister, I said. Ah, yeah, I never mentioned her, huh? Maybe I should introduce you next time. She said there are no guys near her recently and she's been kind of bored. Nah, I'll be right. She seems a little much for me. I felt like I understood at least one of the reasons why Kay liked occult stuff after hearing that story. Birds of a feather flock together or something like that, right? Oh yeah, come to think of it, is that Gurugurusama still there now? Yeah, why? Ah, uh, nothing. You just said it was the scariest thing you've ever experienced. I was thinking it'd be cool to see it just once myself as well. Huh? Ah, no, that's not it. I mean, it was scary, yeah, but certainly not the scariest thing ever. Sorry, my bad. I left out the most important part. I tilted my head. What on earth was he talking about? The scariest part was what happened right after that. When we got home... Our parents found out that we snuck out. It was night time and my sister screamed, so some of the neighbours heard. So when we got home, well, let's just say we sure got in trouble. My mother that night was the scariest thing I've ever experienced. Having said that, Kay laughed. Next, we're taking a trip all the way back to the beginning of the Showa era. A young boy lives in a small mountain village with his mother, while his father fights in the war. The boy is shy and struggles to make friends, but when a sick newcomer arrives, it seems that's all about to change. But perhaps it would have been better if they never met at all. Find out why in You Mustn't Approach That Well. This story took place during the early Showa period. 
there was a boy, only 11 years old, who lived in an out-of-the-way mountain village. The boy's father had been sent off to war, so he lived alone with his mother. The boy had always been shy, so he didn't have any friends either. And so, day after day, the boy played in the mountains all by himself. The boy knew the mountains well. Even when it grew dark, he wasn't afraid. However, there was one location alone that he wouldn't approach. It was a shrine located a short distance from the path. The shrine gate and main building were rotten and falling apart, and nobody visited it anymore. But behind that shrine was something that the boy feared. A well. The boy had no idea why there was a well there. All he knew was that it was terrifying. Before he left for the war, his father often spoke to him of it. If you fall in that well, then you'll never come out again, he said. You see, that well leads to hell. That's why you must never go near it, and you must certainly never look inside it. He had heard this story numerous times since he was young, and he was already of an age where he realised these stories existed to keep children from going near dangerous places. Even so, the shrine grounds were so terrifying that he feared that perhaps the well really did lead to hell. At any rate, it was somewhere a child would need a lot of bravery to approach. The boy stuck to his father's word, however, and never went near it. However, as that summer was nearing its end, something happened. At the beginning of that hot summer, the young boy made a friend. Another boy moved in nearby, and he was two years younger. He didn't yet go to school. The pair first met when the young boy went over to the new boy's house to run an errand for his mother. It turned out this boy had asthma, and so he had been sent to a relative's house to get better. When the young boy got home, he told his mother all about it. That boy lived in town, so I think he'll struggle fitting in here, his mother said. You must be nice to him. The boy did as his mother said, but being shy, he was unable to visit the other boy's house by himself. And so, his mother, perhaps realising this, often sent him over there on errands instead. The boy, who tended to be shy, grew more and more friendly with the sick boy after several visits. Finally, the two became friends. Whenever the pair played together, it was always inside. The boy, suffering from asthma, was unable to exert himself too much, and, at best, was only able to take a walk in the area near the house. What's out there in the mountains? The sick boy suddenly asked one day. He was unable to go outside much and was always staring out the window, so perhaps the thick forest covering the mountain seemed mysterious and mystical to him. Well, there's a place you shouldn't go near. The boy said it casually and told him a little about the well. He wanted to scare his friend a little. Really? A well like that really exists? The boy seemed a little scared, but his eyes sparkled with curiosity as well. It does. It's a really deep well. 
even if you toss a stone in, you won't hear it hit the bottom. Adding a little colour to the story his father had told him, the boy proudly told his friend about the well. In reality, not only had he never tossed a stone down the well, but he'd never even looked inside it. That sounds scary. I'd love to see it sometime, the boy said excitedly, staring out the window. You can't. It's not somewhere you could easily walk to, and it really is scary. The boy told his friend off, as though he was his big brother, and the boy looked disappointed. One day, several days later, as summer was nearing its end, the boy was at home alone. He really wanted to go and play with his friend, but his mother was out and told him to stay home. The grown-ups were apparently having a meeting at the assembly hall to talk about something important, and so the boy was stuck in their small house all alone, waiting for his mother's return. Suddenly, he heard the front door open. The boy stood up and went to greet his mother, but when he got there, it wasn't his mother waiting for him. Why are you here? The boy asked in surprise. It was his sickly friend. It was rare for him to come to his house instead. It was a small village, but even so, it was still dangerous for the boy with asthma to walk around. I was bored, the boy mumbled shyly. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Ever since I moved here, I haven't been as sick as before. Well, at any rate, come inside. Where's your mum? Is she out? Yeah, the grown-ups are having a meeting, so she's there. Ah, the same at my house. My uncle and aunt both left together. The boy wasn't surprised to hear that. There was no way the boy's uncle would have let him walk all this way by himself. You didn't tell them you were coming here? They're going to be so angry. It's fine. They said they'll probably get home late. I just have to go home before then. Oh, but you really should go back now. I'll go back with you. The uncle's face floated around in the boy's mind. The face of a man of few words who all the village children feared. You listening? This boy is sick, so he can't move around much. That's why you must never take him outside, okay? The uncle had said that to him sometime when he went over to their place, and the look on his face was most serious. Hey, why don't we go a little further into the mountain? The boy whispered, as though he had already made up his mind. The sun was about to set. Surrounded by trees, the shrine that was dark even during the day almost looked like night. The boy stood before the well, and all he could do was tremble. The boy he had just been talking to was no longer there. Desperately fighting the tremors shaking his body, he peeked into the well. It was too dark to see anything. It was so dark that it really did seem like it might lead to hell. But that boy was in there. He had meant to only look around the shrine a little before leaving. 
He despised that spark of mischievous spirit he had inside, though. When his sickly friend said he was going to have a look inside the well, he was suddenly overcome with the urge to play a little trick. He only meant to scare him a little. He only lightly touched his back, and yet the boy let out a small scream and then disappeared into the darkness of the well. And now, no matter how many times he screamed, there was no response. The boy returned home as the sun started to set. He didn't remember how he got back, but his mother still wasn't there when he got home. He was unable to stop the trembling racking his body, and he was covered in an uncomfortable sweat as well. The only thing that filled his head and his heart was fear. Not fear that he may have killed a friend, but fear of what was to come. When he saw his mother's face upon her return, the boy could say nothing, and fainted on the spot. When he came back too, he was lying in bed. A wet washcloth lay on his forehead. Ah, you're awake! He heard his mother's voice beside him, and when he tried to sit up, she stopped him. No, stay where you are. You have a terrible fever. It was true. The inside of his head shook terribly. I'm sorry. I didn't realize you weren't feeling well and left you here all alone. His mind hazy, the boy thought of his friend. It was something he never wanted to remember again. Mom. Just as the boy was about to speak, there was a knock at the front door and his mother stood up. He heard her talking to a man and shuddered when he realised it was the village policeman. So, they had finally come for him, huh? But that didn't seem to be what they were talking about. The firefighters are out searching in the mountains right now, so it seems only the elderly are still in the village. Once it gets light, you should come and help us too. Of course. Judging by their conversation, it seemed everyone in the village was looking for the boy. He was relieved to hear that the officer wasn't there to arrest him, but what he said next almost made his heart stop. At any rate, we're going to search around the shrine first thing in the morning. There's an old well over there, right? So maybe something happened to him there. The next day, the boy stayed home alone in bed and waited for his mother to return. She went out to help the search and hadn't yet come back. Around lunchtime, an elderly woman from nearby brought some rice porridge over. His mother must have asked her. They're looking everywhere, but it seems they haven't found him yet, the old lady muttered sadly as she replaced the towel on his forehead. What about the shrine? The boy readied himself and asked after a brief silence. The shrine with the well? Apparently the officers searched there first thing this morning, but he didn't find anything. Although, everyone has been wondering if maybe he fell in the well. The boy's mind went completely blank. There was no way they would find the well empty. That boy was definitely down there. Shortly after the old woman left, his mother returned. He casually asked her the same question, but 
his mother's answer was the same. She said they didn't find anything in the well. Anyway, you should sleep now so that you can get better soon, his mother said. She looked awfully tired, but then she left again. Alone once more, the boy desperately tried to think, but he couldn't understand it. Was both the old woman and his mother lying to him? Was the police officer already on his way to arrest him? Maybe it was his fever rising again, but his head started to shake. The crushing anxiety and high fever made it difficult for the boy to sleep. As autumn colours dyed the mountain, the search for the missing boy was called off. He must have been spirited away. That was what the elderly folks in the village said, but nobody actually took them seriously. The missing boy's funeral was held that November without a body. The young boy did not attend. You must go and pray for him, his mother said, but the boy stubbornly refused. He couldn't bear to look at the face of the boy's uncle and his parents who had come in from town. His mother looked down at him sadly, but she said nothing further. He watched her leave for the funeral by herself from the front door. He wondered how he appeared in the adults of the village's eyes. He had lost his only friend, and they must have pitied him for it. That was no doubt how they saw him. And that was why no one felt it was strange that he didn't appear at the boy's funeral either. After the funeral was over, the grown-ups barely ever mentioned the missing boy again. This made the boy wonder. Why didn't they find him? He started to wonder if it had all been a dream. But it wasn't. He could still feel the warmth of the boy's back as he pushed him. Well, maybe that well really did go all the way down to hell. Sometimes that was how he felt. Was the boy who fell in the well still tumbling all the way down to hell, even now? screaming the whole way. He knew how stupid that sounded, but he couldn't stop the thoughts either. And, as the years wore on, the boy stopped going into the mountains to play. A young man walked through the darkness of the mountains. He held no light, but shouldered some rather large luggage. If someone from the village saw his face, they'd no doubt immediately recognise him as the shy, friendly boy who had once lived there as well. The young man, who had walked this path for many years, struggled to breathe, but still he walked slowly so as not to drop what was on his back. He knew it was stupid, but he was already clutching at straws. That terrible day when the boy fell down the well. Roughly one year later, the young boy received word that his father had died in the war. His mother couldn't stop crying. Around the end of summer, the boy and his mother moved out of the village. His relatives took care of him after that while his mother worked hard to raise him. She never once cried nor complained, however, and only wanted her boy to grow strong and healthy. And now, that same boy carried his mother on his back, wrapped in a blanket. He had killed her, 
his kind, gentle mother, and his only friend. His mother was proud of the boy she raised, the young man who now worked for the largest bank in town, and that was why it must have shocked and saddened her to learn that her same son had developed a taste for gambling, and that he was using the bank's money to do so. I'll deal with the money, she said through her tears. So please, just apologise honestly to the bank. This was the first time his mother had ever stood in his way, and she refused to back down. The young man's hands almost unconsciously found their way around her neck and squeezed. That well was still there. That terrible, awful well. That well he thought he would never visit again. And, before that well, the young man once again stood. The sweat that soaked his body was not from climbing the mountain alone. The young man's eyes, used to the darkness, looked down at the faintly lit well, and it truly did look like a gateway to hell. I just have to drop you in here. That way, they'll never find you. To this young man, driven into a corner, even his silly childhood fantasies seemed like they might actually be real. He slowly lifted his mother off the ground, but when it was time to let go of both hands and drop her into the well, he naturally hesitated for a moment. But the next moment, his mother got sucked into the darkness and disappeared into the well. There couldn't have been more than a second before he heard a dull thump at the bottom. The young man panicked and looked down into the well. Fearing that someone might uncover what was going on, he took a torch out of his pocket and then shone it into the well. In the small circle of light, he saw his mother's face poking out of the blanket. She seemed to be looking right at him, as though pleading with him. The well he thought was deep, so deep, was in reality only about five metres. Not only did it not lead to hell, but his mother was right there in front of him. Yet, when he pushed that boy into the well, it had honestly felt unimaginably deep. It's okay. The body will disappear. It will disappear. After all, it disappeared last time, didn't it? But, contrary to his expectations, his mother's face continued to look back at him in the light. Come on! Disappear! 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 The young man could do nothing but curl up on the spot like a child, crying and pleading. That summer's day, when the young boy pushed his friend into the well, his mother just happened to see it. In order to protect her beloved son, she removed the boy's body and got rid of it so that nobody would know what happened. And now, that mother was gone too. Don't forget to check out Bankai, Baffling Japanese Internet Mysteries Volume 3, on Amazon right now. And check out our newly revamped merchandise store at kowabana.store. And if you'd like to chat about this week's stories, come and join us in the Kowabana Discord. You can find that link in the description or on kowabana.net. You can also check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash Tara A. Devlin 
for exclusive bonus stories and extras, or our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash kawabanajapan for all sorts of Japanese horror you won't find anywhere else. Thanks guys, stay safe and I'll see you again next time for even more Kowabana, true Japanese scary stories from around the internet. Want even more scary stories? Head over to kowabana.net for new translations every week. You can also join our Patreon for exclusive stories you won't find anywhere else. Head over to kowabana.net now.